Hi, Vicky. How are you? I'm really fine. Hi, Vicky. You're Vicky number one. I'm Vicky number two, apparently. Yeah, so two, two Vickies on the same podcast is going to be a bit confusing for everybody, but I'm <laughs> sure we'll get through it. Okay. I, I, first of all, I have to apologise for the amount of time it's taken me to get this organised. I know, I know we've been talking about doing this for ages, and now we're actually doing it. So thank you for your patience. And I'm really happy that you're on and doing this today. That's fine. Right, let's just have some fun with it, see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I really enjoy doing these little podcast interviews and uh, some people get a bit nervous, but don't be nervous. We'll be all right. <laughs> <clears throat> like most things in my life, it's just like stepping off a cliff and falling and just seeing where, See it, goes. where it goes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you are, I believe, I hope this is correct. You are a trustee of the charity Mind Out in Brighton. I just... How did that come about and how long have you been doing that? Yeah, I, I, it came about through meeting them at a thing called Disability Pride in Brighton, which oh, was right. there with my partner. Um, everybody's got a pride these days and uh, yeah. this, this is really good. And Mind Out were there. So Mind Out are a mental health charity but the difference is that it's specifically run by and for LGBTQI plus people. So everybody involved in it has got experience of mental health for our community. And I was just really, I guess I've always been around quite diverse people and people with learning difficulties and all sorts of different issues and it, it just seemed a good good thing to get involved in yeah so mind out is is related to mind the charity yeah i think originally it came out of mind in brighton right. and it was just the lgbt community in brighton saw that they needed something to, it's it's like if you talk to somebody online for online support if you've got a mental health problem what you don't want to be doing is explaining your gender or your sexuality yeah. or if those are the issues that you've come to talk about it's great that you're talking to somebody that is lgbt that's yeah, gone so through those issues so like a specialist area within mind yeah yeah, yeah. and separated out into a separate charity um, and been running for, I think, about 15 years, something like oh, that. I didn't know that. Is it, yeah. is it just in Brighton, or is it...? Yeah, it is just in Brighton, but looking to expand across the country, and the face-to-face the -face services are just in Brighton, so um, peer support sessions, one-to-one um, -one peer support, advocacy, and counselling. That's all done in Brighton for Brighton people. There's also an online um, support, which runs most days, um, which covers the whole of the country. In fact, that's that's pretty much worldwide. So if you're if you're on the online support, my first online support session that I did, I think I had somebody from 
Switzerland that was looking for LGBT support. And so we were kind of looking up on a map, trying to work out where they were in, in Switzerland and yeah. how they would get to this support group that was in Bern or somewhere, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, amazing. So you were uh, doing actually, you were actually talking to people who needed help. Yeah. So I so got involved were... initially doing, um, I got involved initially doing online support and also supporting what was a Thursday afternoon group, which was a peer support group. So right. people with mental health issues who are also LGBT coming together just to talk about their week and, you know, support yeah. each other really. Um, and I got involved in the online as well. So I do like one session a week, a couple of hours online, just chatting to people um and it's good you get good training um and you get amazing support they're really good uh, it's a really good charity to work with um and, and then you became a trustee yeah when and they realized you weren't going to run away with all the money <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> well i'd got a lot of experience around um charities i had like my first involvement with a charity was in about uh, 1987 something like that when I was involved in a thing called FAB which was physically handicapped and able body clubs right. and um, <clears throat> somehow I became chair of Sussex FAB um, and I don't know then then after that I was a trustee of a charity which was a uh, called Leyden House Trust, which was a home for kids from Chaley Heritage. So it was like a weekend right. place for disabled kids. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a while. And then my partner and I helped set up a, a, um, a day centre for disabled um, adults. So I did that for a while and I was chair of that for a while. So I've got lots of experience around... Yeah, a lot of experience there. Yeah. Around charities, yes. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, so getting involved in mind there and, and also I've been chair of a theatre club and things like that in the past. So right. a lot of experience, uh, which has all been really, really useful, um, within, within mind there, because as a trustee, you're responsible for, you know, the legal running and the, the, the ultimate responsibility for, <clears throat> for the charity, for mind yep. out. To make sure it's adhering to its its goals and following the rules and sticking to it, yeah, sticking to it, yeah, uh, and enjoyment. and also direction setting, <clears throat> um, and um, yeah, it's it's yeah. and they're such a really really great bunch. It's really really it's lovely. Really, I mean, it's fa fascinating work. I've I've never done anything like that. I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, it, it is, and you sort of see the you kind of sit above the good work that everybody's doing, you know, the advocacy yeah. service, helping people with their, you know, accommodation or mental health issues, working with um, housing associations or mental health services with people. You kind of, when you've got somebody that's LGBT and they've got mental health problems, you've got kind of all the issues of, 
you've got a mental health issue and mm. then you come out as trans you've got a mental health issue and then you come out as gay so you've got all the problems of your mental health and how you're coping with life generally yeah. and on top of that you put this yeah yeah and and then you're exposing yourself to transphobia homophobia within the organizations that you're working with so you know, so mind out being able to be behind those people. And you know, is, is, being is able really to understand important. the issues and yeah. knowing how to deal with them, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's really good charity, yeah. Good yeah. on you. you. You also describe yourself as an actress and a director. So <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about your actressing. My, my career, my stunning career. career, yeah. Second career, because you, I know you're retired now, we'll come on to that in a minute, but yeah 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 um, your, um, your yeah i, I joined a local theater club probably too long ago um we have a we in in sussex we have things called firework processions a firework procession procession yes so bit so before bonfire night all of the villages around here have bonfire societies and all of the bonfire groups come together and have a big parade with all their costumes through the different villages and then a bonfire at the end and then a fireworks display right. you know, lewis is the biggest one and the most yeah. famous because they burn the pope and <laughs> all that all that sort of stuff and pope for really yeah. yeah it's a bit controversial <laughs> they usually they burn boris as well and trump oh yeah so it's not all bad. the right people yeah it's not all bad and um, I was standing watching that and the theatre club were going past and somebody came over and said, oh, we're desperate for somebody for pantomime. And this was somebody I kind of knew. Do you, do you fancy being in pantomime this year? And being a Muppet, I, um, I, I agreed to do it and never, never really looked back. Yeah, so, so you know what's coming next? The question is, what, what character were you playing in the pantomime? Oh, don't. I think I was just a stupid guard. <laughs> So I started traditionally in pantomime, you kind of start off as part of a double act. Yeah. So I think I was just a, a stupid guard and and I got incredibly large ears. And Did you have a I singing and speaking role. I, it was it was just about a speaking role. I think I had about two lines and then <laughs> basically I got knocked over a lot by the dame, I think. <laughs> so I just spent a lot of time falling over and I'm and that's kind of what my career in pantomime was just falling over a lot <laughs> have you have you been doing this for years is it kind of yeah I did it for a lot of years, years. I, so I did it I did it for a couple of years and then um my daughter came along so I kind of dropped out until she was about 10 and then I went back to it and then I did it for probably the next 14, 15 years, oh, I wow. guess. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously this is during the Christmas period. Yeah, so it's but always... It, but doesn't it, doesn't it extend a few months? Oh, it's months? mad. It, it's it's completely mad. My, my life revolved around um, doing triathlon and stuff in the, in the summer and then maintaining my fitness by doing pantomime in the winter. <laughs> it was like my my off-season training was 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 pantomime and um wow so you'd have auditions in july start 
rehearsing um, October and then two nights a week until the show went live. One, one entire week of rehearsal straight after Christmas and then three weekends of pretty much four shows a weekend. Wow, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah, and, and never the same show. It starts off as being this really kind of rough and ready thing. And by the end of three weeks, it's an entirely different show. There must be a lot of ad-libbing going on in those shows. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I can imagine absolutely. kind of the craziness that happens. It's, um, and the, the times you forget to go on stage and nobody ever forgets it. You're up in the dressing room and suddenly somebody says the line that you know is your cue to come on stage. And it's how quickly you can get from a dressing room, partially dressed, dress on your way down the stairs and arrive on stage. Yeah, standing in the wings, waiting to go on. Yeah, and, and you just sort of, you, you learn in life that being fashionably late is is a good thing. If you're going to be late, don't but, I mean, it's a, But it's a pantomime, so... You know, people expect those kind of weird. They, they, com they completely expect it, and and all you've Everyone done comes is on stage drunk or yeah, kind of you, you, you've, kind of. you've left your your you've left your partner on stage, having to ad lib about how useless you are <laughs> and how you're probably in the bar, you know, and uh, and and yeah. you're completely humiliated by the time you come on stage. I've also done a few entrances where I've come on way too early, and been told to get <laughs> off stage. That's, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, you've done some directing too. Was, yeah. that, was that for Pantos or for other plays? Yeah, so, I mean, I did I did other acting things like The Diary of Anne Frank was oh, wow. probably a play that if if you've ever it when when you act in a play, it definitely affects you sort of mentally and physically, and you get into it. And especially when it's a play about something that really happened. And you're representing somebody who was physically in a place at a time you're telling this story you want them to be represented in some way so you you get this kind of almost spiritual connection with this with this character and i would say that the diary of anne frank was devastating amazing those of us that were in it would never forget the, the experience of doing that. So I've done some fairly... I mean, that's fairly serious. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but it was a fairly minor part. <laughs> but again, you can't get to the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and see him lying there on the gurney, having half his brain now gone, without being mentally affected by that. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. It, I love theatre for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've never done anything like that. I mean, I, I've uh, worked, I've worked in theatres. Doing, I used to do when I was in my twenties, yeah, like twenties, twenty-five. I used to, I was involved with like one of these amateur operatic societies, and I, but I was only doing it from a technical point. I was doing, I was doing the lighting, right. So I used to do lighting, and I used to do a bit of backstage, like scene uh. as well. So I mean, even just doing those once a year was just so much fun. Oh god, yeah, and the, the backstage crew is a completely the backstage different... crew is uh, they're all crazy. Obviously. It's a different world. We call it the dark side. Yeah, yeah. so I, I did go over to the I dark really side. Hmm? I really enjoyed doing it. Actually, it was. It was oh, really... the the best people you ever meet are the backstage crew. 
at the stage manager and uh like all the crews on the ropes and stuff yeah it's yeah 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 completely and the techies and uh yeah. you know and that when i when i moved on to directing plays <clears throat> never directed pantomime but when i went on to directing plays having good solid technical people uh, around you that you could give these amazing challenges to you know and they would just rise to the challenge and yeah. the more the more challenges you threw at them you because this was their hobby the more you know the more they wanted to do i did a, a play um oh, I, I i had this problem with my memory so um but it was a, a time traveling play basically so this um young woman who's a prostitute goes into this guy's um room in a hotel thinking that she's there to be miss whiplash but in fact he wants her to witness a will oh, wow. and because she witnesses the will she then almost get murdered by this guy that comes in to kill her she escapes and travels back in time and and slowly manages to change lives and things as as she goes back in time to different times and that but i said to the techie guy all i want is a uh, is a doorway that she goes through and she sort of enters a, a place between the two rooms. Yeah. And I want that to twist around several times and I want it to look like a time machine moving through time. And he created it. And it was like completely mad. Wow. And, and at the same time, he wanted these magical sound effects to, to go within that. And you like, you always know somebody so there's a, a sound engineer I know that works on adverts, um, Debbie, and she just created this amazing soundscape for us. And it was a brilliant play. But I remember the, um, uh, the local reviewer said, uh, said at the end of the play in the review that um, it was a fabulous evening, really enjoyed the play, but no idea what it was about. <laughs> That's a good review. <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that was good or not, really. The, the thing about the, the amateur dramatic side of it is that nobody gets paid to do any of this. It's all kind of voluntary. Yeah. You know, the, the, I mean, the Operatic Society makes money from it and uses that money to do whatever they do with it. But no yeah. one's paid. No, it's no, no. I mean, you know? I, I worked with um, a couple of Operatic Societies. I was, uh, um, I was a frog once in Honk. <laughs> and you get the best song in the world to, to sing with that it's a big show tune where you come out and do everything as this frog it's just brilliant and i was in uh the wizard of oz right and the girl that played dorothy in the wizard of oz is currently um in the west end all right um in play that I can't remember the name of. Well, that's really embarrassing. Um, yeah, so she's she's currently in the West End and she was the most talented person on that stage then. Um, I mean, most of the, the amateur stuff, it's like uh, Gilbert and Sullivan kind of plays, you know, it's like... Yeah, I, I, I think down here, things. The, the, they, they used to do a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan and then they realised that people weren't coming to watch that. Yeah, though, so, I'm not sure it's as popular these days, but... No. No, uh, it's probably... It's probably died a death by now, but it was a lot of yeah. fun when we used to do those. 
Yeah, but then I directed a couple of other things. The best one I I think I did, which had the most meaning to it, was The Tin Woman, which was uh, played by a guy called Sean Grenham from America. And it was the um, it's it was the first time the play had ever been done in the UK. And um, and it's about a a woman who um, gets a heart transplant, but then contacts the family. This is set in America. Contacts the family whose son donated the heart when he died. And it's about the progression of that relationship. And uh, we did it in coordination with um, a friend of mine who runs a charity around um, getting people to donate organ donation. Yeah. And um, right at the beginning of the play, we got her and a lady whose son had died and had do she donated his organs to come in and talk about organ donation as a recipient and also as somebody that had, you know, lost their son. And it's amazing how you can, as a director, you can create an atmosphere of, you know, a, a real understanding of what you're representing. Yeah. Um, and I was really proud of that. That was a wow. really fabulous thing to be involved in. I mean, how, how has lockdown affected everything? Has it all been shut down? Yeah, time? everything's just 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 died a death. I think the club so, is just about just about still running. Yeah, so hopefully um, it's going to get going again now. Yeah, but whether I'll go back to... I kind of dropped out of acting. Um, I did a couple of plays after I came out and I directed The Tin Woman after I'd gone through... Tran started transitioning. Yeah. Um... But I kind of dropped back from it now to do the mind out and other things. Yeah, so I, kind of, I think I think I've moved on now. Yeah, you've done it. You've, yeah, you've done other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're now you're now retired, aren't you? You uh, used to work. Yeah, yeah thirty nine years with um, with with BT. Yeah, so I left school, got an apprenticeship, and uh, and went into BT and was, was, was that was the only company you ever worked for. I, I did work for my dad's sheet metal company for about two months. That counts. That counts. I think that counts. Yeah, and it, and I always thought to myself, however bad my job got, it was never as bad as working in the factory. I remember when I, I did an apprenticeship when I was sixteen, and I, I remember BT was one of the companies I approached, but they didn't, they didn't want me. Oh no! <laughs> I ended up I ended up working for British Aerospace instead. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's pretty good, though. Yeah. But, I mean, back then they were looking for, I think they were looking, BT were looking for people who were really into kind of electronic, kind of electrical stuff. That that wasn't really my forte at all, so. Yeah. Yes, I didn't realise that wasn't my forte. Until you were doing it. <laughs> Until I was doing it. And then I realised how bad I was at it. And um, eventually rose through the ranks until I became one of the top 10 technical people in the country. Oh, wow. So you, you really you made an impression at BT then. <laughs> yeah, we, I was part of a um, problem-solving team. And, uh, and let's we, face it, BT did have a lot of problems, didn't they? Oh, yeah. There's, trust <laughs> me, there were always problems to be solved. So, you know, that you'd get complaints were going to the chairman's office or just stuff that wasn't 
being fixed, you know, on, yeah. on networks, um, yeah. intermittent problems, all sorts of rubbish, really. And um, you would you would ride out like the Lone Ranger on your own in your in your car, turn up at the customer in your suit, and you've got a you know your 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 testers and your analyzers and your God knows whatever else and yeah and you'd fix it. So they, they parachuted you in to fix the problems. Was that? that was that was it. Everything from BAE to yeah. Microsoft yeah. when Microsoft was a boy um, to air traffic control. I've got to remember that one. That was that was fab. Um, yeah, because BT would have been in all those companies, wouldn't they? It would have been oh yeah, everywhere. massively into all the yeah. big all the all the big contracts. Yeah, so we were all all over those those networks. And um, it was a bit of a monopoly back then, wasn't it? Yeah, but this was kind of I suppose that we were post monopoly now, so. Um, yeah, so probably over the last sort of, you know, 15, 20 years. So a, a really exciting job, but strenuous and stressful. Oh, I'm sure it was very stressful, yeah, I imagine. It's really stressful. When somebody wheels you in as the person that's going to fix the problem, it's like, yeah, thanks for that, yeah. At least you got some teeth and some power to do, do something, I guess. Yeah, we, we had, um, yeah, and we had good people behind us. You know, so uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was that was for a lot of years, and then I don't know. I just kind of got bored with it, I suppose. And I, it got to thirty nine years. I got to like my mid fifties or whatever, and I just went and I, I applied for for a redundancy scheme, and they wouldn't let me go because I had what they called necessary skills or whatever. So I just resigned. <laughs> <laughs> so you resigned and retired at the same time. Yeah, so I I, I resigned and um, yeah, and uh, and have gone into a, a, a long retirement. Hopefully, so have you have you lived in Brighton all your life? Well, I live just north of Brighton. Just north of Brighton, right? Yeah. So and I've lived in this particular town for my entire life. Oh wow! So everybody here knows me. So you 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 must you must be pretty close to the coast then, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's a nice Brighton Beach is nice, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's the pier. Okay. I, I I have no memories of, of as a kid. I've only all. been there once, but it was nice. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and the pavilion, that's really nice. The pavilion is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You could be in India somewhere. It's really lovely. And, and there's there's a is, little shopping area where there's got really narrow streets. I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, but the lanes. The, I mean, lanes. the lanes. That's, I guess. that's nice too. I really enjoyed going around there. Oh, the, the, the lanes are, are fabulous. And I've got my favourite coffee shops that I go to. Oh, a lot yeah. of my life revolves around coffee. You have to understand. Well, yeah, I, and too. I mean, it's I did, you know, I actually did two years without caffeine. What were you thinking? Exactly. <laughs> what was I thinking? I was destroying my life, allowing my life yeah, to go by. Two years, you've let, you've, you'll not get that back. No, exactly. Yeah, I'm making up for it now. You've been married for 35 years, haven't you, down in down in the sunny town of Brighton? Yeah. And you have a daughter who's in her 20s. Yeah. So yeah. How, how was family life, you know, when you started going through transition? I mean, how did you, how did that come about? Oh, was it a difficult oh. time? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, we've been going through difficult times anyway with a teenager, you know, teenagers yeah. are incredible fun. 
and um, yeah, and probably things were coming to a head for me around who I was and how I was presenting. And it was a it it was a difficult time. We were just about to buy a new house, and I I'd got to the point where I'd I'd been in counselling for a couple of years. So before I came out to anybody, I'd found myself a counsellor. Um, there had been some things going on on in our lives around the death of a good friend and some mm -hmm. suicide attempts from different people yeah. which had really unsettled me so i'd sought out a counsellor and probably about three weeks into counselling i'd said to them look i'm going to be honest i'm also here about my identity and who i am and that started a very long journey you know, of exploring my, my, my gender and. So were you, were you still working at this time? Yeah, still working. So yeah, so I would sneak time out of work to go to a counsellor who was yeah. miles away from home because I didn't want anybody to, and any chance that anybody in my would find out. life would, would figure out what was going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And eventually I started going to them dressed and I would, I would do that thing of finding a lay-by on the way there. Get a change in the car. Getting changed in the car. Yep. And the horror when somebody else pulls up behind you and stops. We've all been there. Yep. And you're halfway through. And you're, oh God, no. <laughs> or, or the dress you can't get off. And you're like, yeah. zipper's stuck. And you're, oh no. Yeah, it's not. It's not the best place in the world to try and get changed in the car, is it? It's, like, it's, it's it's really not you it's have really to do not, it. it's like you, yeah. you nobody would do that normally it's like, oh, yeah that's right do you go in the back seat or the front seat which looks odder no difference. yeah which looks odder you know uh, who knows <laughs> yeah yeah you you, you 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 have to be some sort of strange contortionist um, <laughs> and uh i guildford was my i used to go for counseling up in guildford so i would drive up there early spend a bit of time in town as as me as as vicky and an amazingly accepting and lovely place, little coffee shop there I go to regularly. Bought my first pair of ladies' glasses there. And um, this old lady, who obviously had really bad eyesight, helped me choose my glasses. Between the two of us, we chose glasses for each other. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> and, um, and then I'd go on for counselling and um, slowly, you know, started to go there dressed and things like that. And just started to experience life as, as I should. And um, yeah, and then I used to stand on the, the riverside. It's a very shallow river, right? But my thoughts were always around, I could end it now. You know, I, could, I can stand here, I can throw myself in, and this is done and dusted. The horror is over. I haven't got to deal with the worry of what happens to other people, the hurt that you cause other people if you were to come out as trans. You know, that was always my biggest, biggest worry. It, it, is, it is a big worry. And it also 
it's not just that it's also the fact that you might lose friends and family you could be rejected you know and you end yeah. up with no no family no friends i mean it's not it's not an easy thing to go through it, no I, I, I have no idea of the outcome and what could happen and it kind of feeds on your fears doesn't it it does and, and you know when you when you say to somebody i'm trans there is no way back there's no way back and there's always some kind of reaction yeah yeah uh, or negative there's a reaction you yeah. just don't know which way it's going to go when you, when you say those words you, you, you have no idea so counseling for me was to make absolutely sure that this was genuinely yeah. there were no other choices yeah and and other people do different things but for me that that really worked um and uh, yeah then i i we were walking up to see the new house and i remember saying to my partner listen i've i've just gone an antidepressants and i've been to see my doctor and i'm in a bit of a bad way and it's because i'm trans and she always says that i always do these things in public so that her reaction has always got to be kind of modified you know <laughs> it's a really evil thing to do and and, and then we and then we spiraled from there you know i i'd I think that the most valuable thing I ever did was I'd, um, I'd, I'd met a lady who was a, a coach, a life coach, and she had really talked me through the process of coming out. We'd really worked on who I was going to tell and in what order so that whoever you tell can always talk to somebody else on your behalf yeah so you yeah. sort of start with somebody that's going to be very positive so yeah. that would have been one of my sisters and then you kind of spread it on from there so by the time I got to tell my mum who immediately rejected me I she could then ring my sister yeah so you already had people yeah who knew who you could bring in yeah so and then two or three days later my mum who's who's told me to leave to go you know i don't want anything to do with you yeah. two or three days later there's a there's a message on my computer when i come home from work and it's just a little bible passage because she's very religious and it just says love overcomes everything and you know oh wow that's amazing and you know and she is my biggest supporter now she's yeah. she's fabulous oh, that's awesome yeah we just had coffee um and uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's, she's really lovely and from a support point of view i think everybody's found it some people have found it more difficult than others you know i've lost a cousin through this um apart from that i've done i think i've done pretty well and for somebody that's lived in this town all of their life you know, most of the people here will have known me before and after. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've been in panto and I've been in play yeah. and I've, yeah. so it's hard for me to go under the radar. So most, you probably bump into people all the time that you know, or. Yeah. You know, as you, you live there all your life. You, you probably yeah. People. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, the, the last thing that you do is come out on Facebook. Yeah. 
and uh, <laughs> so everybody you've told you've, you've been around told everybody that you possibly can and then you put the message out on facebook and um there's just a picture of me in a mirror dressed properly as vicky and it just said underneath it welcome to the world vicky jane and at least 50 percent of the people thought it was a new play i was in Oh, my word. People. P.S. This is not a play. That's right. Yeah. P.S. This is for real. And um, yeah. And and that year I was Damien Panto as a female, the only female dame that was ever played in this town. And um, an interesting experience. Yeah, cool. That's amazing. Yeah. So, well, I mean, overall, then it sounds like you had good support from your family, even though one or two were a bit, yeah, not so supportive to begin with. And yeah, I, the the big thing I learned was that people go through their own little. Yeah, I don't think it's not. Is I don't think it's about us. It's about how somebody else kind of reacts to it and how they deal with it and how they kind of work through it. So, you, you know, it doesn't matter what you said, you know, they still have to go through their kind of processing of it, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, somebody might be, because when you say it, it's a total shock because nobody ever sees it coming, do they? No. Right. Well, There'll be one or two. Some that, people might, but generally no. But somebody's always going to tell you, I always knew. I knew there was I, something about you. Yeah. yeah, and you go, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always the gay guy that you know who goes yeah. to. Was new. Oh, you didn't. Anyway, um, I can't remember what I was saying there. Oh dear. So we're talking about family and friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is always yeah. So they've always they've all been incredibly supportive. To be honest, and it the person a person's first reaction is not their last reaction. So like with my mum, kind of they go through a process, don't they? And it improves over time. Yeah, so, so like my, my younger sister was immediately really supportive, followed by the phone call the second day, which said, you're going to break everybody's hearts, followed by the phone call on the third day that said, but you've obviously got to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's very true. I'm guessing you've gone through similar. Well, I, I, had, I had really amazing support from all my family. I didn't, I didn't, really, I didn't really have that problem as, as much. Even even members of the family that I thought would struggle with it didn't, you know. And yeah, I had amazing support. I'm very lucky in that respect. But you know, I do know people who didn't have such a good time with it, and uh, yeah, very difficult. I mean, I have lost some friends, one or two. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I think it's kind of expected that you're going to lose some people here and there, but. And, but what you gain is so much more. You gain so much more. I've gained so many friends. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, coming coming out of work to me was an odd one because I've been part of a team that had been together for probably 25 years. Yeah. So coming out to them was, I wanted to, it was quite a small team. So I wanted to do it like individually, but management wise were fabulous. I told my, I told my boss, my direct line manager, a couple of years before I came out, that 
this is where I was considering going because we were just very, very good friends. And um, when I came out or said I was going to come out at work, their boss had had somebody in their team that had come out trans a couple of years before. So they recommended I went and spoke to them. They knew the policies. And because I was in a large company, there's a policy for everything. Yeah. And they had, they had all the right policies in place, it sounds like. Yeah, completely. I mean, the biggest difficulty is getting your email name changed and oh, stuff like that. Know, you, IT stuff is the hardest part. Yeah, but you, 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 you kind of get there. Um, and I think I was also lucky because customers, being a problem solver, I don't get to meet many of my customers twice. So, but at least now you could go in and say, well, I've got a problem for you to solve this time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you you go in, you do an investigation, you leave and they hope to never see you again because they're never going to have another problem, you know? So, so when I, after I'd come out, the people that met me had only ever met me as Vicky. Yeah. So that's, that makes it so much easier, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I never had a problem with any of my customers. I was, really nervous at first about like using loose in oh yeah i was too in, in offices and things like that how was, your, how was your first day in the office it was was it well I, I, the thing is i never had an office right oh, so right. i've always kind of worked from i had an office but i've always worked from home so i just spent all of my life on the road so i was just the team that i'm with we only ever met on the phone Right. A, couple of time, a couple of times a year but apart from that I was just out meeting customers so you know that all that worry about acceptance it was really heightened so it wasn't like you got to come out you know once in an office this was like you were doing it multiple times you were doing it every time you went out but as long as you went in and just said hi I'm Vicky I just never yeah. had a problem yeah was, I mean I, I didn't have any problems with, with work people or work or anything it was all very, very nicely done. Everybody was super supportive. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you you, you did the big coming out thing, but I'd... Well, my first day in the office, I'd, I'd kind of arranged to get all my IDs done the weekend, the week on the Friday. Mm-hmm. Then I, I came in very early on the Monday. So I was at my desk first. <laughs> so you don't have to do that walk through the office thing. <laughs> So I was sat at my desk before anybody else came in and um, yeah, people just came over and said, hi, and you know, how are you, how are you feeling? And yeah, it was great. People were really nice. And some of the, some of the younger women in the office, they, they for the first week, they were giving me daily scores on my, my, my appearance. <laughs> I got a few tens. So I was, I was happy with that. Nice to was super, super supportive, super inclusive. It was, it was fab. Really. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I effectively became the only woman on the team because you can imagine engineering is fairly yeah. male orientated. Very much so, yeah. Um, but I, I remember I, I met up with like the London team, a small group of us in a cafe in Godalming or somewhere. And um, we sat down and we got all the way through the coffee, just chatting about work and stuff and our kids and things. And right at the end, I said, look, there's something I need to tell you all. And um, this is going to be hard. And I said, I'm, I'm trans. And my name from now on is, is Vicky. 
And they would just say, oh, God, we were really scared you were like leaving or something, or you got cancer or something. I, yeah, said, I had a few reactions like that. Oh, we thought you were yeah. dying. Thought, no. Yeah, exactly. Dying. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And, and now can we get back to talking about work? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it just, it just happened as quickly as that. Yeah. So, but, but all the way through transition, you know, time off for operations and for counseling and stuff like that just couldn't have been more supportive and I was really sorry to leave um but I just moved on past it yeah gets that point don't you mm. yeah yeah so you know, generally the world's been a pretty good place really so how was your experience with gender identity clinics and GPs and NHS and all that stuff yeah it's, it's really really interesting I mean you've got to remember that I came out probably about six years ago and it was just before so mid 90s sorry no mid mid 10s not mid 90s mid 10s yeah, mid, mid 10s i suppose uh no i don't know 2015 mid, mid, oh sorry yeah what am i thinking yeah, 2015 yeah yeah, yeah yeah and um it was just before well i think it was in a, a real golden age charing cross was a complete disaster at that point in time and people's referrals were getting lost for years and, and they never answered the phone. So Charing Cross was at the start of this, the only gender identity clinic pretty much. And, and it was a, a completely, I think there's Exeter as well, but they were, everything was a disaster. And just at the point I came out, Daventry in the Midlands had just opened up as a GIC. So basically they had no idea what they were doing, but there wasn't anybody on the waiting list. So I'd, I'd gone to see the doctor, I don't know, like, I don't know, the April, she'd referred me, although I'd had to do all of the work, you know, turn up with the paperwork. When you first go to see your doctor, they know nothing about this, print out the NHS guidance and take it with you and show them what they've got to do. Yeah. You know. I mean, I hope, I think it's getting better in that respect. Good. I think there's still a lot of GPs who, yeah, in regard yeah. to what to and, do. So, and then what I didn't know was that she was a, uh, she was that the doctor I saw was transient, so she'd gone within a month, and my case right. gone over to the one of the the heads of the practice, who yeah. decided that she didn't want anything to do with it. So I'd been referred. And time went on and I didn't hear anything from anyone, but I kind of knew that it was, this is a long-term thing and not to panic and I didn't worry too much. And I rang the GIC in the end and they said, oh yeah, we've got an appointment for you in November, but we're waiting to hear back from your doctor. I was like, right. really? So contacted the doctor and couldn't make head nor tail of what was going on and eventually what, what had happened was I just I'd come came back off holiday and there was a letter on the doorstep and the letter just said it is with great regret regret that I have to advise you that I will not enter into a joint care agreement with the gender identity clinic I will not be involved in prescribing hormones I feel my reputation is far too important to be involved in any of this. Incredible. Really? 
And apparently what had happened was she'd spent... That's, and that's with an official NHS GIC. Yeah. yeah. We're that's not right. talking about a private we, clinic here. No, she wouldn't. This wasn't... No, exactly. Yeah, this was a proper NHS GIC. She wouldn't have anything to do with it. Wow. She wouldn't have anything to do with it. And I actually went and saw her um, to thrash it out with her. And she was in tears because I, I basically said to her, so where's your, where's your do no harm? Yeah. Where, where, you know, where, where's your, I mean, your, how do you, how do you actually come to that conclusion? Yeah, that? How do you, how do you justify harming me yeah. Yeah. In, in what you're doing? And she was in floods of tears. And in the end I was consoling her. I think I hugged her as I left the room thinking to myself, you idiot. And then you'd move doctor, you know, you get recommendation, you move doctor and suddenly bang. And by the, yeah. February, I'd had my first appointment at the GIC. Miss Timmins, just just the most gorgeous man. Go dressed appropriately. Oh, that's terrible. Gender stereotype. Make sure you're in a skirt, nice top. So you get written on your letter. Came dressed appropriately. Oh, got the first one. Was back up there. Three months later, I think the longest three months of my life. You know, I can't imagine how people cope now, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, I, I literally, I probably still got the, the year planner somewhere where I ticked off every single day between that first and second appointment. The, the, the mental anguish of waiting for that second appointment was, was just awful. I can imagine, yeah. Just awful. So how people cope with... And that was only three months. And that was just three months. How do people cope with years? Yeah. I got the second letter and I think because I'd done, you know, I could point to the fact that I'd had counselling, um, that I'd, I'd come out to my family, my family was supportive. I think all of those things were real positives. And I think by the, by the September, so it was like a year and a year and a couple of months after I come out, I was on blockers. Yeah. Um, that was tough. That the, the depression that came on from having my first blocker was was appalling. I wasn't ready for that. I think just that total lack of hormones entirely was quite hard. Um, and then of course, did, once you, the, did you get a new GP? Yeah, I got a new GP. It was more yeah. supportive and did what the GIC told them to, basically. Yeah, agreed. Yeah to the joint care agreement yep. and and everything went forward. So, so my my original doctor probably cost me three months. So I should have had an appointment in the November, but in the end it was in, in February. Yeah, I guess I mean in today's terms, three months is terms, it's, yeah. three months, it's like a blink. I, you know, I, I wonder how relevant I can be in supporting people now because my experience of going through the whole system. Yeah was agony but it's nowhere near as bad as it is now well i you know i was i've waited two years for Sh with sheffield for my first appointment which i never got and then i then i was very lucky and got transferred over to this new indigo thing in manchester and that's been that's been absolutely amazing you know i was getting appointments very quickly and really small waiting times between appointments so you know from from when they first contacted me, which would have been November last year, yeah, through to now, I've been through the whole process, and I'm just waiting for a surgical, um, you know, to go down to Parkside in Brighton now. 
So I'm on the surgical waiting list now. So I've been through the whole GIC thing in less than five months. That's, that is completely mad. Within but the they've taken into account all the time you were waiting on the GIC waiting list then, basically. Well, the way it works was that, you know, I'd originally been referred to Sheffield and I was on their waiting list. And mm. then Indigo started up and they they kind of set, had some criteria as to who was going to be in their original kind of yeah. cohort of patients. Yeah. And you had to be over 18, which I qualify for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you had to have been already referred to a GIC and not had your first appointment yet, which yeah. I qualified for. And your GP had to be based in Greater Manchester, which I also Ooh. managed to have. So I was contacted by them as to, you know, would you like to move over? And I was like, what is this Indigo thing? What, what the heck is this? If I if I move over, am I going to lose my place? Am I going to what if it what if it stopped? something they closed down like 10 minutes later. So was, there was a bit of a, a risk on my part in actually making that decision to move over. But I'll tell you what, it was the best decision I ever made. Oof, yeah. I mean, wow, the time I've saved is absolutely incredible. I mean, I feel really guilty for having been so lucky. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a nice kind of feeling when you've had such amazing service and other people not getting it. You know, and I just wish they'd roll this out across the country. Yeah, there is. You know, there's no. It's it's a two year pilot, but there's no reason for it to be a pilot. You know. Yeah. Everybody knows it's better, so just yeah. get on with it and get it yeah. out there for everybody, so everybody can benefit. Yeah, but you know, the guilt is a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's when I when I go on the tea and coffee calls with some Sam and that, like you know, and hear about what people are going through now. There is definitely survivor guilt, which is like, yeah. I've I've come through this relatively unscathed. You know, I'd I'd had um, a confirmation surgery within three years, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, I, the first thing I did was facial surgery. I had a fairly messed up face that I'd really hated all of my life, so facial surgery was. I'd done that within six months of coming out. I went down to um, down to Spain, down to facial oh, team, all right. and um, spent three of some of the best weeks of my life in Jenny's Nest, which was up in the hills above Marbella. And um, with, with I've, the team, I've heard some really good reports from uh, facial about facial team. Yeah, I just watching somebody last week on um, Twitter coming back and just had their operation there and spending a week in Marbs and and now yeah. just come back and uh, yeah. yeah, they're really good. I had a broken nose from when I was a kid at school. You know, comprehensive in the seventies. Yeah. If you if I'm you broke your nose, that. yeah, if you broke your nose or something, nobody really cared. So you lived with a broken nose all your life. And um, <laughs> I think the facial team said we can try and fix it, but there are no guarantees. You know, and um, I just, you know, with, with both the major operations I've had, it's the, 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 when you wake up afterwards and you know that you're not as you were. Yeah. It's just the most amazing feeling. Yeah, so but, I don't know when my surgery is going to happen, but... But I you're going to Parkside. To, you're thinking Parkside. I'm going to go to Parkside. Yeah. I've, I've had the referral from what the, what's referred to as the, the hub. I think these are the people that do the referring yes. to the hospital so i've had that yep. letter so i'm just waiting for, to be contacted 
by con by Parkside to go and have my first, um, I guess, assessment with the surgeons, surgeons, surgeons or surgeon. I don't know. Ooh. So, but I don't expect that to happen for another year. I would think. Yeah. And then there'll be another wait after that before actual surgery. So it's probably, I don't know. I probably it's probably two years away. I think. Yeah. Something like but that. I I got to the point where I'd done all the surgical referrals. Well, I hadn't had the second surgical referral from Daventry. That had got delayed. And I very much decided that I'd waited long enough through the whole GIC process. I'd stuck with the NHS through what felt to me like thick and thin. And it got to the last hurdle and I thought, you know what, I'm going to self-finance this. Right. And, I, and I and and I the feeling of, of being able, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to take control of something right at the end. Yeah. And say this was this is something I've done for me. And I probably I mean it's not a cheap option, is it? But it, it wasn't crazily expensive. It wasn't crazily expensive, but it's probably I'd, I'd had some shares from BT from when I was, you know, from, from a long time ago yeah. and they'd increased in value. And it was it was money I could use for, you know, to, to push things forward. Yeah, so something um, for you. Yeah, that's right. Special treat yeah. for me. Yeah. Why and, not? You deserve it. Yeah. And I went to the Nuffield in Brighton and, um, yeah. yeah. I was forgetting, yeah, Nuffield's right there on your doorstep, isn't it? It's, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. And, uh as a another brilliant experience painful but but a brilliant experience yeah yeah um so i've got all that to look forward to Sorry. yeah just make sure you've got netflix you're going to spend a couple of weeks just watching netflix yeah, yeah. great fun so you you also um you're a bit of an artist aren't you i hear i i kind of when i was first uh on my little jaunts out as as vicky I used to pull into a cafe and I just picked up a pencil and pen and started drawing stuff. And as a kid, I'd always drawn quite meticulously, but very, very badly. And other members of my family are really good artists. So I was always kind of shamed into not going down this line because nothing I was ever going to do was going to be any good. And then I think there's something about coming out and releasing yourself. There is something, there is definitely something because when I, you know, went through coming out and all that, yeah, it was like, a, there was like, um, all of a sudden I was starting doing things that I would never do before. Yeah. All of a sudden, like my, my confidence kind of went through the roof before I was like really shy and I wouldn't, you know, I'd be the last person to speak up in a meeting. I'd be the last person to, I would never do public speaking. Yeah. I would never, you know, you'd never hear me. I'd be like a mouse. But, you know, now yeah. I'm, I've kind of, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I've, I've found my confidence. It's, you know, it's taken me until I'm in my 50s to get to that point. But yeah, it's made a huge difference for me in that respect. Isn't huge. that an amazing, amazing how that works? Yeah. It's, it's as though suddenly all that stress and all the things that were kind of suppressing you have been released. Yeah. And 
suddenly you're a different person. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I've I'm part of a little group of online artists that meet online once a week, and, and your pictures are amazing. Share ideas, and we're yeah. I just I've seen them on on Twitter. I think you have them on yeah. Twitter. They look really good. I mean, have you considered selling them or having a? I've, it's not something I've. Where you sell them, and you, you know, or, or I've, them I've given away pictures in the past to some special people in my life. Um, my voice coach, um, Louise Milner Smith, I, I gave her a picture of one of my uh, girls when I first, uh, a long time ago when I was first getting into art. So I, I kind of give things away every now and again. But I think about it. The difference you could, is you could actually sell those and make a bit of money. The difference is, yeah, no, and that's exactly right. Oh, God, when you retire, you're on a fixed income. You need to, you need yeah. to find some money from somewhere just for the. They're really good. I, I, I mean, yeah, you should sell them. Really, people could pay me in coffee vouchers. <laughs> <laughs> but I just find there's a real freedom to, um, to doing it now, and. Um, not not all of it's good, but that's kind of okay because it's the process. It, yeah, of doing. Not, they don't have to be perfect. It's art, so it's, it's your expression of what you're doing. So yeah, and you'll still get people that will tell you, even if you hate it. Other people say, "Oh, that's amazing." You know? Yeah, they do. There's one or two things. Um, good friend of mine in Brighton wants a couple of my pictures, and um, and I was like, "Really, those ones?" <laughs> so how do you sign them? Is it like VJ on the, in the corner? I do VJG. BJG, yeah, yeah, BJG <laughs> at, at the bottom uh, or on the back. Um, so, yeah, it's it's that's that's been a real kind of revelation and and something I've I've really enjoyed. And mentally, you know, um, yeah, how's it helped? How's it helped with mental? Kind of yeah, but with mental health, it's things. been it's been brilliant. It's it's kind of great therapy. I mean, I've I, I would say the last year or so I've started to um, experience um, something called functional neurological disorder, which I've just had a diagnosis of yeah. through a neurologist. And um, it's sort of a condition where you, your brain loses control of bits of your body. So it's kind of a bit like Parkinson's, um, but it's not due to a deterioration of the brain or anything. It's down to, the signals that control your body so i'll go into seizures or just yeah. absences for for periods of time yeah and um and is it is it controllable no it's sorry. not no there's nothing there's no like medication or anything like that so it's kind of down to you to kind of understand where you're at and manage it yourself kind of thing yeah and having good people around you and yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, yesterday I was in town and started to have a shaking seizure, which I haven't had for a while. I've been to A&E a couple of times, but I've had a letter from A&E saying, don't come back because there's nothing we can do to help you. Yeah, charming, charming. <laughs> no, manage this at home. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, that was when I had seizures like three, four hours long. So they don't yeah. tend to be that long now. So that's... So the, for the, the art, doing the art, that helps? Yeah, it really oh, that's does. That's really yeah, um, it's just allows you. I mean, some of it is you'll just have come out of a seizure, and just the opportunity to express that in paint or color, 
yeah. or lines or anything on a piece of paper is quite releasing. Um, but also if I'm in a long meeting or something like that, where I'm likely to have a seizure, just drawing or sketching whilst I'm on a meeting can, can really help. So does, do, do stressful situations kind of make it worse? Yeah, stressful situations. Information overload yeah. Can, yeah. can do it as well. But other things, it's just completely, completely random. Um, I probably had my first seizure. I was doing, I did the London Marathon the year that I came out and I got to about 12 miles and suddenly could hardly move my legs. And, and I did the next... 13 14 miles away or just literally doing a shuffle and is that is that related to running a marathon or is it related to the no that was i the distance was not a problem this was just my brain lost control of my legs right so and that that happens a lot now i'll be walking normally and then my brain will just lose control of walking you have to you have to rest and kind of recover yeah what i'm able to do is shuffle so i can then a journey that would take me 10 minutes from town might take me 40 minutes yeah but i'm very dogged i'm very determined in in my past i've done marathons and triathlons and pantomime and things that require a huge amount of endurance and so you you kind of dig deep and get yourself through it yeah yeah, yeah. So it's it's been an interesting turn to life, and it I can't drive now. Things like that. Um, yeah, and I, I know you said a while ago that you'd given up driving. That that really yeah, changes. How's that going? I mean, that must uh, be. Pain in your neck. Do you know if you think transitioning is going to change your life? Yeah, not having a car. Not having a car is way worse in so many ways. I you know, we've reliant on our cars, aren't we? It's ah, we've we've got some. Um, been invited to a wedding up in Manchester in a All couple right. of weeks and my partner's wheelchair user and we can't yeah. get any accessible tickets on the train oh. to Manchester and I can't drive so we now can't get to this wedding so well, unless you can find someone who's kind of heading in the same direction who can help yes, us that's going to drive us up there yeah which is unlikely to happen so yeah so it's it's, it's a complicated life and do you know that's I think it comes down to the most most interesting things or the the current thing about us or the thing that we're grappling with now is not being trans you know that's such a minor part of my life now and i've met some amazing people through being trans and going to trans pride and all those amazing communities i think i mean we we i think we met on twitter didn't we originally and we're also involved with tea and coffee yeah sam and jason do yeah, which is a great little thing. I mean, that's that's Love really it. great for meeting people and uh, yeah, sharing it's, experiences and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, some great people on there. Yeah, yeah. You've also been doing something with the uh, diversity role models, haven't you? With uh, yeah, so that was another thing that came that came about through Trans Pride. I think the first Trans Pride I went to in Brighton was just when Trans Pride was taking off. It had gone from a couple of hundred people in the first year I went. It was like three thousand people or something. And the last year I went, I think it was eight or nine thousand people. Well, yeah, I went in twenty nineteen. It was there was a lot of people. There. That was huge. I was uh, marshal that year, so right. that was a that was a great experience as well. Probably saw you, just didn't 
oh yeah you know that time, so. i've got my trans-colored dress on and like you know my yeah. marshals outfit on marshals, i've done yeah. it for a few years and i just felt like it was time to give one back and obviously we haven't had one since well I let's really... hope next year there is one yeah please because it's yeah let's such a great back thing. into the what's that little pub called the uh oh yeah oh no see my brain's gone again yeah my brain's gone too now can't remember what it's called Oh, the Marley, the Marley. The Marley, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The, the Marley's the place where I met my BFF. So, um, yeah, so that's that's a great place. Um, so, yeah, Trans Pride, brilliant. Yeah, and I met um, somebody there called Kate Hutchinson, who's like oh. the North of England coordinator for a thing called Diversity Role Models. And uh, she sort of persuaded me into getting involved in that. And is that a charity as well? Yes, Charity, Run Out of London. It started off um, when a kid was bullied at school because everybody said that they were gay. Um, and they'd um, taken their own life. And the story inspired somebody to start up an LGBT anti-bullying organisation called Diversity Role Models. And they're going to schools all across the country. Initially, it was just London, but all across the country doing anti-bullying sessions and talking about being LGBT. And so these are talks that you have with yeah. groups of students? Yeah. So you, you go into... So you've, you've actually been into schools and done this, have you? Yeah, I don't, mostly in London. Amazing. So I've been to some, some really incredible schools in, in London, um, Kids are always amazing, always ask great questions. You'd always get one or two boys that want to show off and be awkward. Yeah, of course. But they, they but generally kids are really accepting, aren't they? And they're, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do remember being in one class and they all sort of pointed to a girl sitting around and went, She's the lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh no, this is so bad. Um, yeah. But th there are schools where teachers are still not out. You know, schools are not, you know, my memory of school is not particularly good. Uh, I think, I think schools, you're, you're forced to be with people you don't particularly want to be with for long periods of time. Yeah. And I think being different in any way in a school. Oh, being differently anyway, whatsoever at school, you picked on immediately. And that was yeah. my, my memory of school. Yeah, it, exactly. And there's no, there's nowhere to hide. There's no escape in school. No escape. Yeah. Right yeah. yeah. So I mean, we're talking about the seventies, eighties here, but we're talking about the seventies, yeah, and the eighties. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. it's better nowadays. <laughs> yeah, but I, I still think there's, you know, I remember being in a, a school in London where this young man proudly announced that there are no LGBT people in this area <sighs> because of because of religion, and 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 they named three different religions that were prominent in that area that didn't accept LGBT people. You know, and, and they said, you know, every street here is named after a mosque or a, a synagogue or a church. Said, you know, that's that's this area. There are no LGBT people in this area. And um, I, I work with some amazing people in that. You listen to other people's. So basically, there's a facilitator that talks about bullying and being LGBT. And then as a role model, you get 10 minutes to tell your story. So is it, is it specifically targeted at LGBT bullying? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. yeah. And um, you get to tell your story and then they get to ask you questions and you get some great 
some, some brilliant questions. I remember I was uh, in a school, did an assembly in school, in a school in London, and um, for some reason, nobody was interested in me at all. They were all interested in the other role model that was was, was with me. Who was and that? I, somebody famous? And, <laughs> yeah, and of course it turned out to be somebody famous. It turned out to be the lead in, um, uh, what's the story in the West End? Jamie. It was the it was the oh, leading Jamie, <laughs> and I didn't recognise them. You had no chance then, really. You know, no, not really. It was just like this is my story, and now for the main. Yeah, I was just a warm fact, and here's the main. Yeah. We, we went for a coffee afterwards, and we actually walked past a poster of him. <laughs> amazingly embarrassing. But I do that, and most of that's online now. So actually, with the seizures that I get, I probably couldn't go into schools now. So the fact that it's um, well, online, the fact that it's online, mate. Yeah, I think it just works, works really, really well. Yeah, yeah. So, so diversity role models. So anybody that's LGBT, I can thoroughly recommend getting involved with diversity role models. It's yeah, such it's, such a brilliant thing. Oh, to it's do. very rewarding as well. Ah, oh, it's crazy. It's, it's yeah. just really magical. Yeah. So and a good bunch brilliant. of people to work with. Yeah. So when's when's your book coming out and your film? Yes, so basically there's a lot of, I haven't told you in this story, obviously, because I'm, I'm keeping that back. This is just like the prelude to, to the film. Um, I don't know who's yeah, going to no, Don't forget, I want, I want my agent's commission, don't. Yeah, yeah, you'll get your usual. Yeah, zero usual, percent, 5%. Yeah. Checks in the post, yeah, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I, you know, my life has had so many twists. I think you could, though. I think you could definitely write a book. Why not? I mean, you have a really interesting life and you've done so many things. I, you know, we, we haven't touched on loads of stuff um, that's that have happened because, you know, it's, it's not relevant to my story as a, a trans person. But, but I, I mean, if you were to write a book, you could include oh, gotcha. you know, all those yeah. interesting things. Yeah, I, th I think I've always been one of those people that's never chosen the easy path. If there's a difficult path in life, I will. You I chose will, it. I will generally <laughs> choose it. <laughs> but it's the best way to experience life um oh yeah so get the book get the book out and then you know we can talk about movie rights and yeah. merchandising and everything you know yeah do you want to play me you'd be the be lead <laughs> i can see that the right name i could, I could use my same hey, yeah that's right yeah i'll play you in your movie if you play me in mine yeah we could swap yeah we could swap uh swap roles can't we? that's yeah. right yeah and we make a fortune hey we're yeah. we're made i'm into it yeah let's do that <laughs> oh dear so yeah well thank you very much for being on the podcast today we had a great discussion covered a lot of topics there really interesting oh, stuff i really enjoyed it i have one question really for you one final question Uh oh this is the question that everybody gets asked at the end no! of so this is the uh your end of podcast jingle would okay. you like to have a goat a cow or a yay uh goats are so cute and they always get to the top of the mountain the, the goat, goat is so popular yeah okay goat it is you get the goat thank you thank you thank and you so much for coming on i'll talk to you soon really nice talking to you i see you in the next event whatever that might be yeah will do yeah tea and coffee or whatever it is yeah thanks so much okay lovely thanks bye